0: Hello and welcome to another podcast. It's great to have you with me today. Um, I've been a little bit um, quiet recently. Um, you know, I'm sure many of you know what it's like, many um, commitments of family and jobs and various things. But the good thing is that the mind is still going around with lots of ideas and lots of questions are still coming in about many, many topics. So um, today's question was, why did God choose Israel? So why did God choose Israel? Uh, and the question came about, certainly I've been talking to one or two people about this, but I know over the years it, there's lots of thoughts behind this question. and uh, Things like, well, does God show favouritism? Uh, are the Jews that say that they've been chosen, are they misguided? Um, or is it wrong that the Jews feel more special than other people? I suppose you could put them all together and say, really the big question is why would a loving God prefer one nation over another? And it does sometimes hear it raised from time to time. And it does seemingly put some people off. Why would a loving God prefer one nation over another? And certainly if it could be argued that he did prefer one nation over another, you could make an argument for this God really isn't the God that we claim to follow. Because surely the God that is all perfect, all knowing, all seeing, all loving, would not prefer one nation over another. So that's what I'm going to look at today. And um, like any number of other questions, the really exciting thing is the answers lie within Scripture. It does tell us why God chose Israel. The first thing I want to say today was that they weren't chosen because they were more righteous. So Deuteronomy 9 verses 4 to 6 tells us God wanted them to be very clear when you go in to take possession of the land that I'm giving you just know that it's not because of your righteousness. And he says this elsewhere but it's on account of the wickedness of the nations that you're going to drive them out. You're not driving them out because you're more righteous but because of the wickedness of the nations. So he wanted to make it clear to them You've not been given these special land because you're more righteous, but because of the wickedness of other people around you. So just to be clear to begin with, it wasn't because they were more righteous. Um, Question then arises, well, why did he choose Israel? And the answers do lie in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 to 9. God wanted to make it clear why he had chosen Israel. And it says in verse 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, The Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous, than other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples but it was because the lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery from the power of pharaoh king of egypt so he tells them here that he didn't set his affection on them because they were more numerous or like in the last verse because they were more righteous but he did it yes because he loved them as he loves all peoples but because of the oath he had swore to their forefathers. So he specifically tells them, the Israelites, I've chosen you because of the oath I swore to your forefathers. Now, question then arises, well, what was that oath? And who were their forefathers? Well, we know it's the patriarchs, Abraham, um, Jacob, um, Isaac, and we know all the patriarchs, but where did this oath begin? Well, it began in Genesis 12, verse 3. The oath started with Abraham. So, you could argue that God didn't choose Israel per se. Israel being um, Jacob who was named Israel. He didn't choose Israel per se. He actually chose Abraham. And the reason he chose the nation, the people after that it was because of the oath he had swore to Abraham. The oath started with Abraham in Genesis 12 verse 3. And then it was because of that oath that he then chose everyone thereafter. Because of the lineage that came from Abraham. Abraham's grandson being Jacob, he was named Israel, being the people of the Israelites. So they all started with Abraham. So you could argue he didn't choose Israel per se. So the question then arises, well, why, why did he choose Abraham? Well, Genesis 22 tells us um, why he chose Abraham. In Genesis 22, after Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son because God had asked him to, although God had never intended for him to kill his son this way, And he provided the sacrifice instead of his son. But it tells us um, in verse 17 of chapter 22 in Genesis, it says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand in the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. It was because... And they all started in Genesis 12, but God said, I will give you this land and all nations on earth will be blessed through you. Why? Because you have obeyed me, because of your obedient faith, because you were willing to do whatever I asked you to do. This is also confirmed when God speaks to Isaac in Genesis 26. He says, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt, live in the land where I will tell you to live stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you for to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham just as we discussed I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed as we said because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements my commands, my decrees and my laws. So God reminds Isaac, look Stay in this land. I will bless you and give you many descendants. I will give you these lands. Why? Because of the earth oath I swore to your father Abraham. And again, why will we have this blessing? He says because, verse 5, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my commands. So God tells us, he didn't start with Israel. He started with Abraham. And the reason he chose Abraham was because of Abraham's obedient faith. And this explains what God is looking for. He's looking for the man of obedient faith and this is how this calling all started it started with Abraham and as he kept reminding the people thereafter I'm giving you this blessing because of the oath I swore to your forefathers the oath was sworn to Abraham and every generation after that again all because of Abraham and his obedient faith so a good way of looking at this call to the Israelites a good way of looking at it is it was more of an expansive call i.e. for all nations Rather than an exclusive call to a certain people only, he did use them. He did choose that them people um, to then work through them. But it was an expansive call. He started with them and then expanded out to many other nations. It's always been clear in Scripture that God has always sought everyone. And when he called his people, the Israelites, to follow the Passover, he wanted everyone to be included. He wanted all nations to be involved, but they must, you know, be circumcised. Be must display obedient faith themselves by being circumcised if they want to partake of it. But it wasn't exclusive only for the Israelites. God also used Ruth, who was a Moabite, is a Gentile and non-Jew. Um, and Ruth, it talks about Ruth saying, "You know, your people will be my people's, and your God will be my God." God fully accepted Ruth, um, and in her lineage came the Messiah. Um, also in the New Testament, um, Peter, um, as the the Initially they only reached out to Jews and they were ignoring the Gentiles but God came in a vision and spoke to him and said no you must go to the Gentiles and sent them to Cornelius. So God's plan was always to include everyone and never show favoritism to one nation over another. You could make an argument in Ezekiel 5 verse 5 God talks about the land of Israel and he says it was put in the center of all nations. So you could argue that for geographical reasons it was the ideal place to pick if you wanted to reach out to all the large nations around it. It was a small nation itself, but it was put in the middle of many other large nations and was in a good place to then spread geographically. So that could be another reason you could use. But just to be clear today, why did God choose Israel? Well, he started with Abraham and the only reason he swore then to Israel and chose them was because of the oath he swore to Abraham. The reason he chose Abraham was because of his obedient faith. And that's what he's looking for today. God's choice was due to obedient faith. God will work with those who will work with him, who've proven that they will work for him. When God was dealing with with Samuel in the Bible because of Saul's um, disobedience, he said, this is what the Lord is looking for, not sacrifice. He's looking for those who will follow his words in obedient faith. So, in answer today, God does not show favoritism by choosing one nation over another nation. He started with one nation, and from that nation came Christ, came our Messiah. But He chose that nation initially because of an oath sworn to Abraham, and He was chosen because of obedient faith. So, what we can learn from this is what God is looking for is obedient faith. That's what pleased Him that He seen in Abraham that then enabled him to choose subsequent um, generations after that. Um, But he does not show favouritism. And through that nation, the Israelites um, came the blessings to many other peoples. So any thoughts on this um, today? Please drop any thoughts, comments or likes. Um, Many thanks for listening today and we'll be back again with you soon. Hello and welcome to another podcast. It's just great to have you all with me today. Um, Today's question is, Um, How does God view my persistent sin? So how does God view my persistent sin? So you could say just today, this is an in-house conversation, really. This is really completely directed at Christians um, because you need to consider that you do sin. So it's completely directed at Christians. um, And the other thing to say just before I start, when I ask that type of question is how does God view something? You might say, well, how do you know? How can we know for sure? How can you know whether God views it this way or that way? How do you know how he really feels? Well, what I would say, and it may sound obvious, but I equate what the Bible says with how God feels. To understand how God views something, he's made it clear in his word. If you believe the word of God, the Bible is the word of God, then that's how we know how God views something or how God feels about something. So in this question today that I'm going to address, and it it, it really appeals to all people's who at one point or another have got caught up in the same sins over and over again. Or maybe you're sitting at the moment thinking, I don't know how God feels about such a sin. Well, I want to look at that today. And I'm going to just add in here, basically, probably one of my favorite scriptures of all time. The one that really kept me strong through many difficult years at times and, and maybe uh, through my Christian life. Uh, but again, the question, as I say, is how does God view my persistent sin? Um, and what I want to look at first of all, just a very important scripture, um, which we'll probably refer again to as I look at our main scripture today, which is Hebrews 10. But the scripture I want to look at first of all is 1 Corinthians 10. And again, I'm going to refer back to this scripture as this is a very important one. And this is a warning uh, about Israel's history. Israel was a chosen people of God, which I addressed in my last podcast, um, but they had fallen down in many, many ways. But God says, look, take a warning, take heed from what these guys did. And don't repeat it. Don't do what they did. But it does tell us in First Corinthians 10 and verse 12. It says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But if you are tempted, guess what? Who out there is tempted? Everyone is tempted to one extent or another, and the temptations change year on year. But it says if you are tempted, and this is a very profound phrase, and I'd love to get people's thoughts on this and how God does this in your life, but how does he provide a way out for you when you're tempted? And I've had this search on this, and I really have found some ways that he helps me specifically. What can I do? What alternative way of thinking? What alternative approach to my day or whatever it is? What way does God give us a way out? Because it says there... He gives us a way out. There's always a way out. We've got to hold on to that. But does it go to our theme scripture now on this? So again, how does God view persistent sin? All right, the, the key scripture, and this say the scripture is definitely one of my favorites in the last 10 years. I've went back to this scripture repeatedly. Sometimes when I, I was in sin myself, and then I read this scripture, and I thought, I have to do something about this. Um, Hebrews 10 verse 26 says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God on their foot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace, For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So this scripture here, I came to it several times after knowing that I'd done things repeatedly that I know I shouldn't do. And I remember reading this and thinking, oh dear, It, it really does seem to pronounce a judgment on the person who keeps on sinning. So it's very clear from the scripture that we really mustn't be deliberately continuing to sin. A few things just to clear up though. And there's a few key words here just to bear in mind. So that we're not all putting ourselves into the same box here. And the first word is deliberately. So it's not, and this is not to excuse sin by the way. But it says somebody who's deliberately doing. A bit of forethought. They've actively chosen that path. They haven't found themselves there. Maybe completely accidentally, or they haven't just been forced upon them or they find themselves in a situation again, any number of ways of looking at this, but it says deliberately, so you know and you've made a dis- a definite decision to sin it wasn't that somebody pointed something out to you that you were unaware of, but you know yourself you chose to do something that was was deliberate all right the other thing it says is that it's not saying the person who deliberately sins it's saying the person who deliberately keeps on sinning so it's talking about repetition here as well so the pronouncement after all of this is talking to the person who's deliberately sinning but also deliberately keeps on sinning so it's not just a once-off thing and it's not and again i can't get into time frames here but it's not even maybe a yearly thing it's something that somebody has kept on doing now you could argue keep on is maybe twice three times it's more than once but we can't say how many after that but it's something he deliberately keeps on doing. And so what does it say about an action like that in our lives? Whatever it happens to be, any number of things, it can be just aggressive, angry thoughts, lustful thoughts, lustful actions, lies. It could be deceit. It could be, you know, just um, being slanderous. Any number of things in our lives. It can be any number of things. um, But it says for the person who deliberately keeps on doing these things, so maybe unwholesome words, swearing, you know, these the person who keeps on doing these things, it says, after receiving knowledge of truth, it says, no sacrifice for sins is left. In other words, you've abolished what Christ can do for you. You've nullified its power. Your sins can't be removed because you've chosen deliberately keep, to keep on doing them. So there is a requirement after received to stop deliberately continuing to sin. And it says it here, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment. Um, now, what I want to draw out of this scripture is something I read myself recently, which I find to be very, very powerful. There's some visualisation and imagery here that we need to go down to help us if there is something in our lives that we're deliberately continuing to do that we know isn't right. And the Bible describes very clearly what you're doing if you choose to keep on doing something that you know you shouldn't do. It says, just a reminder, that anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the two or three witnesses, how much more severely... Do you think someone deserves to be punished so the person who deliberately keeps on sinning how much more severely do you think they deserve to be punished under the new testament under jesus dying for their sins and it says and it describes that person it says how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has and the who has here is what you then do if you deliberately keep on sinning you are it says you've trampled the son of god underfoot have you ever trampled something underfoot before uh, I remember recently we were walking in like a marshland in the forest. We were playing hide and seek with the kids on holiday. And I remember to get in past to find the kids, I had to trample through nettles and weeds. And I remember very distinctively putting a big boot on them. And I wasn't didn't care how I treated them. I didn't care if they were ripped or wrecked or ruined or I pushed them into the muck. It didn't bother me at all. I was trampling some, some, something on their foot. I was treating it with contempt. There was, was no issue. It was just bouldering it out of my way. It meant nothing to me at all. And it says a person who deliberately keeps on sinning is trampling the Son of God underfoot. I and mean, that's a huge, a huge thing to visualize that we're doing to, to Jesus, the Son of God, when we deliberately keep on sinning. Uh, you've also, it says, treat it as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them. You're treating the blood of the covenant, the blood of Jesus, as an unholy thing. Have you ever treated something as an unholy thing, a piece of rubbish that sits in your room? Um, you you know you don't treat it with any holiness with any. You don't like it. You don't like to look at it. Um, you treat it as an unholy thing, something that doesn't mean anything to you. It's of no value to you whatsoever. You don't desire to look at it. Uh, you don't treat it with any respect. And this is it says the blood of the covenant we're treating as an unholy thing, an unholy item in our life. And the last thing it says that we've done, as long with trampling the Son of God, treating as an unholy thing, we've then insulted the Spirit of Grace. We are under the Spirit of Grace, New Testament Christians. Our blood has washed away our sins if we repent, get baptised and keep away from them sins. But it says we've insulted the Spirit of Grace. Have you ever been insulted before? It's a horrible thing. Somebody's treating you with contempt, contemptuous attitude you ever insulted something yourself or treated somebody and insulted them it means you really disrespect them you've no respect for them at all you're happy to put them down you've negative thoughts about them it says when we deliberately keep on sinning that this is what we're doing to the spirit of grace so i read this myself during the week on holiday and a really powerful imagery in my mind that it says the person is doing who's deliberately continuing to sin so how does god you know view my persistent sins well if they're deliberate and you keep on doing them and you know that they're wrong yes first of all let's remember God will provide a way out and he'll continue to provide a way out it may be if it's the 400th time 400th time you've done it but it says when we do this and I just say this to, to warn us because I said it and I warned myself I felt convicted by this I think what am I actually doing when I continue to do this Well, I'm trampling Jesus under my foot. And I know what it's like to trample something under my foot. I'm treating as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant. And I'm also insulting the spirit of grace. So I think it's really helpful if we can do this. Just visualize what them things are saying. What it means to trample. What it means to treat as an unholy thing. And what it means to insult. What does that actually look like? So visualize that. And I think that helps us then when we go down a path of doing the things we know we shouldn't do of really helping us to stay away from them things that could be hard-hitting for us today and i know that a lot of the time myself i've been well-intentioned and wanting to stop doing certain things and maybe god's revealed it at a certain time and i don't re- feel that god is ungraceful in this situation he will reveal to us what he wants us to see he will provide a way out and if we do keep doing something he will gently try to restore us um so but if we keep going down that road as it says we, we are in the dodgy territory if you like and it does tell us And it helps us to visualize what it looks like when we continue down that path. I will pray for us. Give us any prayer requests that you have about any difficulty you have. I mean, we we continue to all have them. I think the important bit, we're no more righteous than anyone else, uh, than non-Christians. But the issue is about our attitude. Do we see our sins? Do we confess them? And it says, pray for one another. The prayer for a righteous man is powerful and effective. So just some thoughts today, more in-house discussion about, you know, how God views our, our persistent sins um, as I said already he does provide a way out but he also wants us to really reflect on and think about um, you know what we're doing when we continue to sin and just so we know I picked up this book the bible uh, many times when I was new myself I continue to do things I shouldn't do and the scripture spoke to me God will speak to us through his word his when I say how he views something we know from his word how he views things so please drop us any likes or comments or thoughts you have on us today I'll be back again with you very soon many thanks for listening hello and welcome to another podcast it's just great to have you all with me today um today's question is um how does god view my persistent sin so how does god view my persistent sin so you could say just today this is an in-house conversation really this is really completely directed at christians um because you need to consider that you do sin so it's completely directed at christians um and the other thing to say, just before I start, when I ask that type of question is, how does God view something? You might say, well, how do you know? How can we know for sure? How can you know whether God views it this way or that way? How do you know how he really feels? Well, what I would say, and it might sound obvious, but I equate what the Bible says with how God feels. To understand how God views something, he's made it clear in his word. If you believe the word of God, the Bible is the word of God, then that's how we know how God views something or how God feels about something. So in this question today that I'm going to address, and it, it, it really appeals to all peoples who at one point or another have got caught up in the same sins over and over again, or maybe you're sitting at the moment thinking, I don't know how God feels about such a sin. Well, I want to look at that today and I'm going to just add in here basically probably one of my favorite scriptures of all time, the one that really kept me strong through many difficult years at times and, and maybe uh, through my Christian life, Uh, But again, the question, as I say, is how does God view my persistent sin? Um, And what I want to look at, first of all, just a very important scripture, um, which we'll probably refer again to as I look at our main scripture today, which is Hebrews 10. But the scripture I want to look at, first of all, is 1 Corinthians 10. And again, I'm going to refer back to this scripture. This is a very important one. And this is a warning uh, about Israel's history. Israel was a chosen people of God, which I addressed in my last podcast. Um, but they had fallen down in many, many ways. But God says, look, take a warning, take heed from what these guys did and, and don't repeat it. Don't do what they did. But it does tell us in First Corinthians 10 and um, verse 12, it says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But if you are tempted, guess what? Who out there is tempted? Everyone is tempted to one extent or another. And the temptations change year on year. But it says if you are tempted, and this is a very profound phrase, and I'd love to get people's thoughts on this and how God does this in your life. But how does he provide a way out for you when you're tempted? And I've had this search on this and I really have found some ways that he helps me specifically. What can I do? What alternative way of thinking? What alternative approach to my day? Whatever it is, what way does God give us a way out? Because it says there, he gives us a way out. There's always a way out. We've got to hold on to that. But does it go to our theme scripture now on this? So again, how does God view persistent sin? All right, this, the key scripture, and this I say the scripture is definitely one of my favorites in the last... 10 years i went back to this scripture repeatedly sometimes when I, I was in sin myself and then i read this scripture and i thought i have to do something about this um, hebrews 10 verse 26 says if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of god anyone who rejected the law of moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished. Who has trampled the son of God underfoot, foot. Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them. And who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said it is mine to avenge I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So <clears throat> this scripture here. I came to it several times after knowing that I'd done things repeatedly that I know I shouldn't do. And I remember reading this and thinking, oh dear, it it really does seem to pronounce a judgment on the person who keeps on sinning. So it's very clear from the scripture that we really mustn't be deliberately continuing to sin. A few things just to clear up though, and there's a few key words here just to bear in mind, so that we're not all putting ourselves into the same box here. And the first word is deliberately. So it's not, and this is not to excuse sin by the way, but it says somebody who's deliberately doing it, a bit of forethought. They've actively chosen that path, they haven't found themselves there. Maybe completely accidentally, or they haven't just been forced upon them, or they find themselves in a situation. Again, any number of ways of looking at this, but it says deliberately. So you know, and you've made a, dis- a definite decision to sin. It wasn't that somebody pointed something out to you that you were unaware of, but you know yourself, you chose to do something that was was deliberate. All right. The other thing it says is that it's not saying the person who deliberately sins, it's saying the person who deliberately keeps on sinning so it's talking about repetition here as well so the pronouncement after all of this is talking to the person who's deliberately sinning but also deliberately keeps on sinning so it's not just a once-off thing and it's not and again i can't get into time frames here but it's not even maybe a yearly thing it's something that somebody has kept on doing now you could argue keep on is maybe twice three times it's more than once but we can't say how many after that but it's something he deliberately keeps on doing. And so what does it say about an action like that in our lives? Whatever it happens to be, any number of things, it can be just aggressive, angry thoughts, lustful thoughts, lustful actions, lies. It could be deceit. It could be, you know, just um, being slanderous. Any number of things in our lives. It can be any number of things. um, But it says for the person who deliberately keeps on doing these things, so maybe unwholesome words, swearing, you know, these things, the person who keeps on doing these things, it says, after received knowledge of truth, it says, no sacrifice for sins is left. In other words, you've abolished what Christ can do for you. You've nullified its power. Your sins can't be removed because you've chosen deliberately ke- to keep on doing them. So there is a requirement after received to stop deliberately continuing to sin. And it says it here, no sacrifice for sins le- is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment. Um, now, what I want to draw out of this scripture is something I read myself recently which I found to be very, very powerful. There's some visualisation and imagery here that we need to go down to help us if there is something in our lives that we're deliberately continuing to do that we know isn't right. And the Bible describes very clearly what you're doing if you choose to keep on doing something that you know you shouldn't do. It says, just a like anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the two or three witnesses, how much more severely... Do you think someone deserves to be punished so the person who deliberately keeps on sinning how much more severely do you think they deserve to be punished under the new testament under jesus dying for their sins and it says and it describes that person it says how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has and the who has here is what you then do if you deliberately keep on sinning you are it says you've trampled the son of god underfoot have you ever trampled something underfoot before uh, I remember recently we were walking in like a marshland in the forest. We were playing hide and seek with the kids on holiday. And I remember to get in past to find the kids, I had to trample through nettles and weeds. And I remember very distinctively putting a big boot on them. And I wasn't didn't care how I treated them. I didn't care if they were ripped or wrecked or ruined or I pushed them into the muck. It didn't bother me at all. I was trampling some, some, something on their foot. I was treating it with contempt. There was, was no issue. It was just bouldering it out of my way. It meant nothing to me at all. And it says the person who deliberately keeps on sinning is trampling the Son of God underfoot. I and mean, that's a huge, a huge thing to visualize that we're doing to, to Jesus, the Son of God, when we deliberately keep on sinning. Uh, you've also, it says, treat it as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them. You're treating the blood of the covenant, the blood of Jesus, as an unholy thing. Have you ever treated something as an unholy thing, a piece of rubbish that sits in your room? Um, you you know you don't treat it with any holiness with any. You don't like it. You don't like to look at it. Um, you treat it as an unholy thing, something that doesn't mean anything to you. It's of no value to you whatsoever. You don't desire to look at it. Uh, you don't treat it with any respect. And this is what it says the blood of the covenant we're treating as an unholy thing, an unholy item in our life. And the last thing it says that we've done, as along with trampling the Son of God, treating as an unholy thing, we've then insulted the Spirit of grace. We are under the Spirit of grace, New Testament Christians. Our blood has washed away our sins if we repent, get baptised and keep away from them sins. But it says we've insulted the Spirit of grace. Have you ever been insulted before? It's a horrible thing. Somebody's treating you with contempt, contemptuous attitude. Have you ever insulted something yourself or treated somebody and insulted them it means you really disrespect them you've no respect for them at all you're happy to put them down you have negative thoughts about them it says when we deliberately keep on sinning that this is what we're doing to the spirit of grace so i read this myself during the week on holiday and a really powerful imagery in my mind that it says the person is doing who's deliberately continuing to sin so how does god you know view my persistent sins well if they're deliberate and you keep on doing them and you know that they're wrong yes first of all let's remember God will provide a way out and he'll continue to provide a way out it maybe if it's the 400th time 400th time you've done it but it says when we do this and I just say this to warn us because I said it and I warned myself I felt convicted by this I think what am I actually doing when I continue to do this Well, I'm trampling Jesus under my foot. And I know what it's like to trample something under my foot. I'm treating as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant. And I'm also insulting the spirit of grace. So I think it's really helpful if we can do this, just visualize what them things are saying. What it means to trample, what it means to treat as an unholy thing, and what it means to insult. What does that actually look like? So visualize that. And I think that helps us then when we go down a path of doing the things we know we shouldn't do of really helping us to stay away from them things that could be hard-hitting for us today and i know that a lot of the time myself i've been well-intentioned and wanting to stop doing certain things and maybe god's revealed it at a certain time and i don't re- feel that god is ungraceful in this situation he will reveal to us what he wants us to see he will provide a way out and if we do keep doing something he will gently try to restore us um so but if we keep going down that road as it says we, we are in the dodgy territory if you like and it does tell us And it helps us to visualize what it looks like when we continue down that path. I will pray for us. Give us any prayer requests that you have about any difficulty you have. I mean, we we continue to all have them. I think the important bit, we're no more righteous than anyone else, uh, than non-Christians. But the issue is about our attitude. Do we see our sins? Do we confess them? And it says, pray for one another. The prayer for a righteous man is powerful and effective. So just some thoughts today, more in-house discussion about, you know, how God views our, our persistent sins. Um, as I said already he does provide a way out but he also wants us to really reflect on and think about um, you know what we're doing when we continue to sin and just so we know I picked up this book the bible uh, many times when I was new myself I continue to do things I shouldn't do and the scripture spoke to me God will speak to us through his word his when I say how He view something we know from his word how he views things so please drop us any likes or comments or thoughts you have on us today I'll be back again with you very soon many thanks for listening